I'd say for the very few who are willing to experiment in service of finding a new experience, that it's it's there, it's waiting, but you you can't even lead them to the water. You can just point to the pond in the distance and those who are willing to try will get closer. But my inclination is most people are not willing to try new things. Hello Rescuers, I'm Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue. A few days ago, I was privileged to be able to schedule a conversation with Daniel Jones, the originator of the term Otherworld Immersion and a proponent of the idea that changing the methodology of our role-playing games is key to changing the experience we have at the table. For those who don't know him, Daniel is a published author, game designer, philosopher and the man behind the Eudaimonic Geekery blog. If you want to hear our earlier conversations about Otherworld Immersion, please check out Season 6, Episode 10 and Season 9, Episode 14. Today's chat was initially aimed at responding to three very common objections I've heard to the central methodological change of bringing all the rules, die rolls and mechanisms behind the GM screen. From there, we talk more generally about some of our experiences with this style of play and muse on how to invite more role players to try something different. Thanks to Daniel for coming back to the show. I hope you'll find it illuminating and interesting. This is Season 10, Episode 19... Rules Behind the Screen with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, welcome back to Roleplay Rescue. Thanks for coming on. How's things with you? Good. I um, For the past three weeks, I put my uh, role-playing game work to the side. Uh, my, um, my burnout was pretty significant. For a long time, I'd been like, pushing myself in spite of it. And that always is a bad decision. So um, I returned to my board game and now I'm releasing my board game betas into the wild and I'll be collecting uh, feedback. And then uh, it's just a hundred times easier. I could do easily, I could create 10 board games in the time that it's taken me to be working on my role-playing system so that's good for me i mean the change itself is good for me and being able to complete something and hand it over to people this quickly that's it's that's a win yeah it's always good feeling shipping isn't it getting it out there. yeah yeah uh, all good great to hear and um you know it's nice of you to pop by really I just wanted to uh you know touch base again i've as you probably aware i've been doing a little bit of all the rules behind the screen role playing over the last couple of months with one of the three groups that I'm running with. And that's been a lot of fun. I thought it'd be a good time to sort of connect back to you, have a conversation. Mostly I wanted to also talk a little bit about some of the, I had to say, say the word criticisms, although maybe they are, I don't know, or queries that people have, you know, common queries that people are having when I start talking about this. So the stuff that's arisen out of previous episodes where we've been talking about, 
um, you know, bringing rules behind the screen and going for a more other world immersion. Um, me talking about my experiences and, and I guess the sort of discussions that have arisen around uh, the Roleplay Rescue community here on the Discord as well. So the first of those, and I wanted to sort of just get your responses to some of these really, but the first one of those is the quite common one I hear that if all the rules are behind the screen and the GM is managing them entirely, the players do not have access to them at all, then the players don't know how to manage the risk when they take an action. What do you say to that? Yeah, um, so again, this goes back to you know the kind of game that the groups want to be playing and uh, so if we can look at it from lots of spectrums, the most common spectrum I think of is you're consciously playing like a board game. Mm. Um, or if, if you look back to the old board game dungeon, mm. uh, a lot of people consciously or not are playing their role-playing games like dungeon mm -hmm. where everything is, um, in front of you, you, it's it's meta, whether you want to admit it or not, you are looking down on the miniature figures, you're looking down on the world, and you're aware of everything going on behind it. Mm. It's very much like the Matrix, whenever you're in the world, uh, the real world, and you're seeing everything as numbers and algorithms. Mm. And that is a way to play. And, and that's fine. If that's just certainly not what I want. I don't think it's what, what you want. Hmm. Um, and if you look at it in those terms, yes, I get to see all the numbers. Yes. I get to understand all the algorithms and all the, if I do X and you do Y, here's the, you know, numerical chances of success or failure. Hmm. Um, so I mean, we really have to start there. Like, what kind of game do you want to play? What kind of experience do you want? And so, yes, technically that's true. You don't know exactly what your chances are going to be of success or failure in, in the moment, uh, but that's the way life is. If I, if I you know, am in a sport uh, and I'm playing football, I know what my chances are on an instinctual level. Like I'm faster than this guy. I'm slower than that guy. You know, he's better at uh, tackling or, you know, whatever. Mm. So, I mean, there's the human experience of calculating chances. If I'm sparring with someone in Kung Fu who I know is a beginner, I know I'm going to win. If I'm going up against a Sifu, I'm going to lose. It's it. There's no numbers involved. It's just common sense reality. Hmm. So, you know, apply that to your role-playing game. Which, which experience do you want? Do you want to be in the movie, The Matrix, outside of The Matrix, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where you're looking at the numbers. Do you want that experience? Or do you want to be inside of it where... You just have your common sense intuitions about here's what I think my chances are. And uh, so those two very different play styles have to be decided on before you sit down and play. Otherwise, you're, yeah, you're going to be frustrated because you're right. You can't see all the numbers now. And that's the way we want it. 
Yeah, and what's really interesting to me is you know, when people have said several times now, I've had this over recent weeks, uh, well, over the last two three months, actually, this how on earth do players know how to manage the risk of an action? Well, ask my players. Um, when I asked the guys playing, they, they kind of got a sense of things. At first, they would agree. They would say when they, for example, were faced with this kind of weird barbaric kind of warrior they were engaged in a fight with for example at first they weren't really very sure i mean they had a a verbal description of the beast the creature being quite big burly physically larger than them heavily armored bone armor you know big wicked looking blades you know really ugly you know big kind of eye patch on and all that kind of stuff going on so they got a bit of a sense and what did they do well they cautiously probed the defenses of that opponent and we got into this gentle sparring thing at first there was a little bit of like to and fro i'm gonna go for them are oh, they parried with their shield you know and um, now i'm kind of gonna get a sense of it but after a while they started to realize you know that they weren't necessarily outmatched they could, they were close, you know, and they could start to sort of work the advantage. And of course, what the party did is they started to gang up, you know, and sort of outmaneuver and, and do stuff like that. Um, now it's interesting because if we use this on a battle mat, you know, the, tra- you know, sort of more traditional, the regular kind of game where you might have that on a battle mat in front of you, a lot of people would argue that you need to be able to see all that to get the positioning. But actually the experience the guys had they were telling me they were in the perception of their character. They were able because the descriptions were brief, but, you know, specific. They were able to visualize well enough that we could uh, essentially negotiate the scene. And um, they were able to make decisions. Those those decisions came out broadly how they expected with a few surprises and they had a good time. Mm-hmm. So for me, I haven't experienced this thing where the players are going, oh, I feel really outmatched. I really feel like I haven't got a handle on it. What they are doing when they're not sure is they're slowing down, asking more questions, probing the situation, you know, mm-hmm. rather than sort of gung-ho charging it because they feel like, it, you know, the converse of that is when you're looking at it top down on a map where you know how far you're going to move, you know what the numbers are, you know that whatever the creature is. Let's imagine that's an orc in sort of armor and what have you, something similar to that. You know, most players of D&D know the stats of an orc, so they are able to make those judgments. But you're right, it's it feels meta to me. It feels, you know, and as a GM, the minute I start tweaking the stats of the orc, I feel like I get uh, challenged on that because I'm not playing by the rules. Right. Yeah, um, it, it's very uh, clear. Like, uh, like I said, I've returned to work on the that board game, which is very mm. simple, very straightforward, mm. and everything. You know, you get to see everything, and that's a particular kind of experience. That's a fun board gaming experience, and I mm. like that. But um, if you have a group who, you know, starts off with the buy-in of I want to be in the perspective of my character then everything changes and the expectations should change. There should be no, oh, you're not allowed to do that because, you know, it's just a goblin and goblins mm-hmm. can't possibly, you know, kill Thor. Um, and, and then there's this, uh, you know, even anger that the, the feeling of your cheating mm. uh, comes up or, I mean, the, like you referenced the feeling of your, you as the GM are doing something, illegitimate by concealing all these things because I should know. 
And all of these shoulds are baked into the expectation of the meta game. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of the second one of the second things I want to talk to you about, really, because behind this, uh, there's been a suggestion, really, that, you know, having the rules in front of you is a sort of sacred part of what it means to roll, you know, run a role-playing game. You know, that mm-hmm. actually the suggestion here, the assumption behind a lot of the questions I get is, I should know what the rules are. I should be able to see the rules. I'm the player in a game. It's a game, and I should know what the rules of the game are. Um, and I'm, I know that me and you are, really challenging that fundamental assumption and of course if you like to play that way there is absolutely nothing wrong with that but of course the goal that we have is different and i think a lot of the time that's what gets missed Um, if people haven't experienced the thing we're aiming for uh, or got close to it then it's very hard i think to understand like the need to do that and the benefit of doing that if that makes sense yeah well like everything else in life um people uh, generate conflict for themselves by not digging into their presuppositions about everything. Mm. And when we, you know, encounter each other, if we're on different pages and we're trying to engage in any activity in life, if we have very different um, expectations, how aren't you going to (laughs) have extreme conflicts, right? Mm. That's just, it's guaranteed, but, and it's so, silly because the work required to get on the same page you can largely do that in a three-minute conversation Mm -hmm. uh but you know the the lack of willingness to dig in there is it's it's guaranteed to generate problems yeah i mean one of the things i i commented on this a while back now in the podcast but the you know the usual way of getting going with the game is somebody sort of says hey let's get together as a group someone picks a system that's the usual the first conversation they have is rule system and then it might be you know genre or world what we're going to play in everyone goes away and makes a character you know based on the system uh, and mm-hmm. within that thing and then basically it's get down and play and of course again we are coming from a completely different starting point i mean i'm much more concerned with where are we playing um, and who are these characters and rules and system are very much kind of to the side they're not you know primarily important in that initial conversation for me um Mm -hmm. if i'm going to run you know a group in a game in a particular world and we are going to say the rules are behind the screen they don't need to concern themselves with that and it's for me to find the engine that's going to do the emulation in the way that you know that's going to fit best if you like yeah yeah Um, and i feel like um again there's just because of there are habits you know essentially that have grown up through the history of role playing the way in which it was originally done you know this become a kind of like a bit of a sacred cow situation if you'll pardon that um yeah. but, you know like the idea that well this is the way it's meant to be done and that's the way it should be done and let's not muck about with that that's how it feels to me anyway but yeah the, the third point is the whole thing's open to abuse by by like the evil bad gm um you know that's the third criticism so you know if we bring it together we as players don't really know how to manage the risk and obviously if we you know having rules is is sacred and then obviously if we don't know what the rules are the gm can screw us yeah that's silly because honestly even if you play very much like a board game and as long as you have a gm and you agree that the role of the gm is to you know uh, create these scenarios to have enemies that are going to be fought. The GM can 
you know, quote unquote, screw the party regardless. It's kind of, it's like, you know, you think you have a checks and balance system by having all the rules be naked, but you don't. That's just, I mean, it's just a magician misdirecting you one more time by saying, see, there's nothing in my left hand. You're looking at my left hand, aren't you? See, there's nothing there. Well, everything's happening has happened already elsewhere. So the idea that, that this somehow protects you uh, is silly. If, if there's a GM and if we define the GM in a way that, you know, the, the job of the GM is to do X, Y, and Z, that X, Y, and Z can be used in bad faith. So there, there is no, there's no protection offered here. And, and the, the other probably bigger issue is if you're playing a game with someone who you don't trust, then you, that's on you. Why would you ever do that? Why would I ever play poker with someone that I thought was going to cheat or steal money from me or, you know, whatever. That's just a silly first mistake um, uh, in life and everything in life. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So we're coming at this very much from a position of, well, we've got a different goal. Um, We're taking a completely different methodology um, because of the outcome that we we want, which is a deeper experience of the of the other world, um, and to connect the player much more closely with the perception of their character in play, and then that obviously stands very starkly against you know the regular kind of game where mm-hmm. player is switching a lot more. I think I think this is one of the things I noticed myself is that the switching between being player and being character, being player, being character. And then you add in the third stretch, switching between player, rules education, and then character. Yeah. Um, And what I also noticed as well is that, especially in modern games where people are quite familiar, say with 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, uh, which I've seen the kids at school when we played there doing a lot, um, is they are... It, it isn't really the GM adjudicating. It's a committee adjudicating. You know, it's it's like the GM is essentially maybe making the final, having the final say in a lot of situations, but players will be correcting the GM when they get things wrong. Um, you know, they will be challenging the GM's decisions, all of which eats up session time. So you're switching between, you know, I'm a player, I'm making my decision as a player, I'm a character, I'm trying to imagine the scene, I'm trying to picture this thing a bit and what's going on, and then I'm trying to, decide what happens with some rolling dice and calculating numbers and reporting back that stuff and i'm also making a judgment about whether the rules are being applied correctly and do i have this special ability and that special ability you know what i mean it's that complex interplay is uh, switching between these different roles yeah now, i guess what, I, what we are looking for is a thing where the player is in character as much as possible and yeah there isn't a need to be switching for most of the rest yeah that's right um I think you uh, a few months ago had uh, introduced me to the uh, the psychological term switching cost, uh, and then I I've read up on it, and that's exactly right. Um, the switching cost is going to pull you away from the goal that you and I have with role playing, mm-hmm. and it it pulls you you know on that spectrum towards a board gaming experience. Mm. And if that's what you want, great. Just be aware of what you want and what you're going to get. It is impossible to uh, have them both. You can't have all of the 
machinations and all of the rules lawyering going on and still have that experience of standing in your character's boots. Mm. You, you, you can claim to have it, but once you start, you know, analyzing it, you're not getting it. Mm. Um, And, you know, like you said, that's fine if that's what you want. And, you know, back to board games, I, I, I get accused of, disparaging board games. I love board games. Uh, I've, I've made several of them. And one of them I have, I have hoped for, you know, being marketable for other people to play. So it's not that I hate them. I love them. I just know the difference between having a steak and cheesecake and I don't smash them together and eat them in, in the same bite. That's silly. Um, so yeah, yeah. Switching cost is a thing that has to be faced and once you get rid of switching cost it's only in the experience that you're going to recognize the power of having eliminated switching cost Mm. yeah only by trying it Mm. yeah i absolutely agree and i don't know i don't know if you had the opportunity to listen to the players uh episode with them a while I think it was around December time, yeah. Um, yeah. With the three guys talking about there, just the first three sessions or so we did of the Northern Isles. What really struck me was just ha- two things, really. One was just how much they had been immersed, and I mean how emotive that had been. Um, and I know recently, um, Evil Jeff called in about I'd been talking in my uh, GM's journal about how sometimes when we are he's in role or not really him, but when players are in role and I'm in role, and then there's that. That moment of anger between a character and an NPC, for example, how like on a personal level that can be quite challenging for me. I don't like kind of those kind of conflicts and, uh, you know, it sort of <laughs> triggers their social anxieties that I have as a human being. But actually it's really, and you know, on another level, it's a really good practice to actually deal with these you know, situations in role. And he was talking about how he genuinely felt really as Kellen, a character, you know, she was genuinely raging and angry, but also there's a lot of you know, front that he was trying to put into the character's reaction, you know, like to try and uh, bluster her way out of the situation that they were in, you know. And I don't ever really remember um, players being, you know, on one level that directly in the inhabiting, you know, their, their characters in quite such the same way. The second thing is just how hungry the players have got. So I know that um, Bob, for example, is just, you know, week by week, just I'm itching to get back, you know, and every time we miss one or whatever, or we can't do a session, he's gutted, you know. And um, again, that hunger, because it, I think it's coming from a very different experience. Yeah. I recall through the years, uh, you know, when I was young and we played, um, I guess, second edition D&D, this is, it's especially reared its head once levels get high and mm. magic items and spells become ubiquitous that uh i mean obviously i want my character to stay alive and to succeed and you have all of this which i now think of it as baggage mm. that that has to be sifted through because it's an arms race right Uh, The GM's raising the stakes. I have to raise the stakes. I have to make sure that my interests are are being fairly adjudicated. This spell, this item does this. And, oh, the GM didn't take that into account. And so, I mean, that's that's an experience I never want again in Mm role-playing because it's, I came here to role-play. I didn't come here to 
uh, adjudicate all these rules and actually parse out the uh, syntax of, of a spell's descriptions, et cetera, et cetera. That's not what I want ever again. Mm. Uh, it's it's not enjoyable to me. It's it's board gameish, and I if I'm mm. going to do that, I'll play a board game. Yeah, it's really interesting as well. It's like I've seen over the years players go, go away from the hobby, you know, because of this um, you know, this mismatch between perhaps the expectation was they wanted to play more in role and they wanted to be immersed in the world and in the story that you know emerges from all of that and actually constantly feel like it's just mechanics that get in the way and mechanisms and rules and dice rolls and everything else that gets in the way of that. So yeah. I know that there are plenty of people out there who would be... I imagine kind of curious to hear what we're talking about. But what I've definitely run into in the last three or four months is just disbelief. People don't believe that what we're telling them is real, um, which kind of makes me chuckle on one level. But I, I think I can understand it on another. I think maybe we've, maybe there's a thing of we've been promised really great immersive experiences in the past and never quite got them. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the, even the word immersion. I mean, it's a it's a minefield because mm-hmm. people don't um, they don't actually define what they mean. Immersion can mean anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can be immersed in playing poker if you if you really get into it. And and so, I mean, that's the that's you know, potential value of saying other world immersion because we're trying to pinpoint an exact experience. But, yeah, you're right. For decades, people promise this. I mean, that's on the blurbs of you know, indie role-playing games, it's immersive. Mm. But uh, like everything else, if you don't change what has to be changed, you're not going to generate that experience. And so this is why methodology is the number one thing that has to be addressed. If you don't change your methodology, you're not going to really change the experience. Mm. Mechanics do this to some extent, um, uh, but not to the same degree. Like someone recently was asking about uh, the horror genre and role-playing games and with D&D. And I see that as just a, a losing proposition compared to the options. If, if you stick with, with conventional uh, D&D methods and mechanics, you're not really going to generate uh, a strong horror experience. Because, uh, you know, okay, there's a vampire. Okay. And then you break it down. It's kind of like um, in the Terminator movies when you see through his eyes and, and everything's broken down, right? Mm. You see, you know, he's actually weighing the person, their muscle mass, you know, everything. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, that kind of overlay ruins the experience of me standing in a field. And there's this thing lumbering toward me, mm. you know, the, the two ways that we can view that either as here's a list of his uh, stats and his powers and my resistance and my powers. And uh, you have to change the method or it's just, again, it, it's, it's broken down, it's meta and it's a board game. I think it's a really good example because I think, I mean, I've experienced um, Call of Cthulhu games, for example, that have been on the edges of generating the right mood, you know, what you're looking for. But when that happens, generally speaking, the GM is downplaying mechanism. That yeah. actually what they are doing is emphasizing description 
And generally speaking, they're inviting the players to get in well. And um, when it's best is when the character sheets are being ignored, actually. That's right. Um, and the players are interacting and they, and when they really don't know what they're dealing with. Um, you know, the description uh, is vague enough that they, they might have a bit of an idea. And of course, it can be ruined in a moment. If one, I've had this where, where one player went, Oh, it's a my go. And as soon as that happened, you know, that's right. There's a whole, the bubble burst. Do you know what I mean? Or, Oh, it's a shoggoth. And suddenly, if you know anything about the stats of the thing, like you said, you're there. If even sticking the label on it actually immediately changes the experience. And, um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I I think there are really good cool Cthulhu GMs. I mean, I know a couple, right? Really good cool Cthulhu GMs playing in mm-hmm. a pretty standard style. But what I notice is that when I listen to them, or if I've been in games with them, is that they are shifting their methodology away from mechanism and rule. I think more towards description and and focus on the fiction. And and of course, we describe this as narrativism. Um, but I'm not entirely sure that's that's strictly what they're doing you know what they're doing is minimizing mechanism um in a, in a very direct way and um this obviously the the problem is nobody talked about that up necessarily up front i mean that wouldn't it be great just to take all cool character sheets away go descriptive and actually take away or you know bring it behind the screen and then you take another step deeper into the into the unknown that's right. By uh, by dodging the switching cost a- as a rule, making that mm. the rule that, you know, as much as is possible, you uh, will not be looking at, be aware of um, any of the rules, anyone's stats, your own spells. Uh, when I made that shift to the player knows what the character knows about their spells, mm. uh, even that shift um, really pays off. And if you compare that to, you know, uh, old D&D, so I'm a priest, I'm, I'm a particular level, and there's some undead coming toward me, I'm not worried. I know the rules. I know that I'm going to turn or disintegrate them, blah, blah, blah. And it, that's just boring as hell. Uh, I have no interest in that. But if I, you know, only know that I can have some effect against, you know, true evil, undead, et cetera. And I don't know the logistics. Now I'm interested again. It's really interesting as well, because, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a war gamer as well as board gamer. Um, yeah. And I think about, you know, the situation, if I'm playing a skirmish war game where there's a load of skeletons and there's a, a priest and I'm looking down on that tabletop and maybe we've got the miniatures or whatever. That's yeah. a, like said, entirely different experience. And I'm up for that. I love wargaming. Yeah. You know, the, the, str- the, the tactical details of that, um, oh, working yeah. a strategy, trying to figure it all. Love all of that. That's a whole different way of thinking. But if you want me to engage as the priest in that situation, you know, I'm with you. It's, it's turn that off and let's get into the priest's body and try and look through their eyes. And yeah, so far the only way I think you're right in this. The only way I found so far is to dial back. You know, it's really bring everything mechanistic behind the screen. And of course, yeah. the GM the GM has to adjudicate that. What I will say though, I don't know if you've experienced this. I find it easier to GM. I thought it'd be harder GM, but I find it easier to GM. So I'm wondering why that is. Yeah. Um, so uh, what's funny is that the uh, the knee jerk reaction when you talk about 
the uh, GM handling all the mechanics is that it's going to be undoable. Um, but what they're ignoring is the exchange of information is eating up time. Mm. And so if you have to roll and tell me something, and then I have to take what you told me, calculate it, feed you back and forth, we have to look at the whole picture of the time that's being uh, eaten up in all informational uh, exchanges. Mm. But if it's just one person, that happens much faster. Mm. And so it at least, my, my own experience is that at least it's going to break even if we're just talking about time. Mm. And that's just the time issue. That's not the what the players uh, get out of this by mm. virtue of not having to think about any numbers. Um, so yeah, it is easier. It is faster. When I look at you fighting a goblin and I roll and I give results, uh, all that happened much faster than you and I trying to exchange information. There's none of the waiting for the player to pick up the dice, roll them, total them and give you back. Or even if you're able to see it, like even if you're on a VTZ and you can see the numbers come up and you can see the dice roll, or if you're there at the table and they roll dice in front of you. And you yeah. I, I don't know about you, I can process looking, glance at a dice, set a dice. You know, adding, I play a lot of GURPS, playing, adding 3D6 together is trivial, really. Um, obviously, addition is much easier than subtraction. So it's quite trivial to add those numbers together and compare them to a number in your head. I'm often faster than the player reporting if I'm playing at a table, but obviously there's this courtesy, isn't there, if they've rolled and they're going to report. Um, that you know most people have and they play in a regular style of play. And all of that, as you said, eats up time. But I think it's also the switching cost. I think the GM is switching less. So I, I know that the GM's having to switch between you know descri- describing the scene and adjudicating the rules stuff, and then if there's an NPC involved, kind of getting in role, there's that move. You're doing that anyway. If you're playing as a GM in a regular game, you're going to do those things anyway. Right. Um, the players no longer have to worry about switching into mechanistic role at all, um, and they are just in character making decisions and role playing most of the time. I mean, they'll switch out as a player from time to time, you know, to pick up a drink or you know, someone distracts them or you know, they need a loo or something, you know. But essentially, they are switching fewer times. You as a GM are doing that the same amount of time, so it is no more tiring. But I found it in a lot of ways way less tiring because of the lack of debate i think and a lack of re uh checking and you know like having to explain again all that kind of stuff does that make sense yeah yeah okay i've got uh, a query um so in my game i just wanted how you would deal with this um in my game we have three characters and um one of the characters wants to go basically a, a town nearby has been torched by a dragon excellent Two of the characters want to join force with some NPCs and run for cover, uh, get away, try and find their way back to somewhere safe where their dragon is maybe not going to eat them right now. Well, one of the players, uh, his side of his character, he wants to go down to the torched town where the dragon has flown away um, and you know see if he can rescue people, go down there and do that. So we're essentially into a split-the-party situation. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that? How do you handle that? Because the only way I can think of handling it is to split the group and run separate sessions, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, for those, it depends um, on lots of real life stuff. So 
um, if you determine that the player who wants to run off uh, by himself, if those activities, if you know that they're going to take a lot of time, mm. then I would just run them separately. Um, if it's going to be, if you already know that there's nothing for that, for that character to do, you could summarize that in a couple of minutes. Mm. You could say, okay, you went down there and you spent six hours but mm. there's nothing but charred corpses and there's nothing for you to do. Mm-hmm. You don't have to split them up, but if you, I guess it depends on what you know is likely to happen. Then um, you either mm. do or don't split the party. We used to split the party like militantly. If, if someone was not in the same room, um, we would either, you know, go into a separate room or um, what was also useful is we had all the players around the table with headphones. Mm-hmm. And if we needed to converse with one person, everyone else would just, you know, blare their headphones on mm. and that player and I would talk. And uh, most people probably are not willing to do that. Although it'd be quite easy nowadays if you're playing virtually mm. um, and, you know, you don't need to pass notes anymore, obviously. I mean, yeah, now, I mean, uh, some of the options on, you know, stick them in a breakout room, yeah. <laughs> you know the players can sit and have a chat or whatever um yeah, yeah all options on a vt it's interesting you talk about moving time forward because the other thing i noticed in play is how much time has become much more granular so the mm-hmm. detail of interaction is very much higher now that may be just what we've experienced so far but i'm finding myself much less inclined to want to skip large periods of time in play because the players are really enjoying or seem to be anyway, really enjoying, you know, a lot more of granular interaction. You know, if we're having an interaction with an NPC, they want to have the interaction with the NPC. And um, it's much richer when I remain in character and we do it in, almost in real time, maybe with just small interjections for bits of description. Yeah, I think it's easy. To, I think it's easy for me to forget that I can just move time on, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I think that's perhaps much more natural in a regular game where, you know, people aren't actually, I mean, seemingly aren't actually bothered about the detail and minutiae of the situations that they're in. They want to solve the problem, you know, sure, roll a dice and move on. It's kind of epitomized by the whole kind of, I search the room and make my search check. Um, yeah but yeah actually in our game you know they search the room it's okay what what do you it's descriptive it's what are you doing oh i'm going over to that cabinet over there and is it locked yeah it's a lock. So i'm gonna trample on it it's rattling okay there's a lock on it okay i'm gonna have a go at picking it let me pick lock picks out there and 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 going around looking behind things looking inside things and the players seemingly loving all that so i don't know yeah i find that much more uh enriching experience i hate the idea of I mean, I, I guess I've always hated that, that, okay, I search and I roll and I either, you know, win or lose. Uh, again, that that is not, you know, the experience I want at all mm. when I'm role playing. I want to be, you know, in my character's skin. So the thing that's getting me is just how out on the edge and fringe, um, in some respects, our the methodology that you've introduced me to and I've started to play around with myself, you know, we're on this edge of, it is a fringe, I think on the, on the hobby, you know, and oh, yeah. um, at, I think you and I both suspect that a lot of people would be attracted to it, um, but they're kind of not coming 
yet. Um, and I'm just curious uh, how we go about, you know, persuading people. At the moment, it's a case of I've got three players who've given it a go. I think maybe there are more and more curious people. Um, but I don't know. You got any thoughts? Uh, I really, I'm not really optimistic about people trying new things mm. or uh, about anything in life. People early on get habituated uh, to what is, you know, what they know is what they do. Mm. And so uh, I really don't have an answer to that. I can, I can talk to people and I mean, there's lots of uh, people who are willing to have discourse about, um, you know, methodology and potential effects. But, but as far as, uh, again, the only way that you will see the value of this is by actually doing good faith effort, mm -hmm. uh, trying multiple sessions, you know, 30 hours spread out over whatever time period to actually experience the, the difference and if if they're set against you like if they want to prove you wrong then they're going to prove themselves you know oh it doesn't work well okay <laughs> so uh i mean there's lots of there's lots of obstacles um i'd say for the very few who are willing to experiment in service of fi uh, finding a new experience that it's it's there it's waiting but you you can do no more than you can't even lead them to the water. You can just point to the pond mm -hmm. in the distance and those who are willing to try will get closer. But uh, that, um, that my inclination is most people are not willing to try new things. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, and I don't think we should be sad about that. I think that's just a truth, isn't it? Like, um, yeah. Yeah, if you're on the fringe, I mean, to me, that's a, that's not a bad thing. I don't actually, I mean, I think if I had like 20 people who were clamoring to come and play in this style with me, I'd be overwhelmed. So, you know, the fact that it's three or four people, um, and there are a few, you know, curious people on the, on the edges who are, you know, listening in on our conversations and, you know, and what's going on in the game group and sort of learning from that. That's fine. And of course, there are loads of people I know who are perfectly lovely gamers and players, really good gems who aren't terribly interested in that experience. That's not yeah, what they're looking sure. for. And to reiterate time and time again, but that's fine. Um, yeah. I mean, actually, yeah. earlier today, I was mucking around um, with, you know, a, a sort of combat board situation. Uh, I was trying to learn some some rules of a game that, you know, I'm playing in something of a different style. Because I do that. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, I know what I'm preferring these days, but it's hard to get it. So, you know, I'll go and play and hang out with some buddies. It's all good. It's just like you, hungry for for more depth. I think, um, and it's kind of interesting. Yeah, what I can say is that those uh, people that I've um, played with who are willing to try this are they become enthusiastic about the effects. Mm. So, um, I mean, I I can say that I this is not just some theoretical construct it really does work it really does pay off yeah. um but i mean it requires people who are willing to try yeah absolutely and you know i'll echo that i mean we haven't played anywhere near as many hours but what we've been doing is a lot of fun and um yeah. it's been really rich and and i have actually started to experiment with different genre stuff as well because 
um you know fantasy is always i think the easiest to do um but i did stop we stopped mocking around with um a little bit of a science fiction game uh just a couple of weeks ago now and mm-hmm. again the guys were able to get in role and, and go there you know um i think it's uh, a little harder in some ways because there are all sorts of like genre things that are just different to play with you know when you've got um, different technologies and stuff like that to get your head around but um yeah it was interesting really good to do you know i think it's just mm-hmm. what i'm learning is the methodology can be applied quite broadly i think um oh, yeah. to different effect um i think i guess that in the end what i'm hoping you and i can do over time and maybe a few other people is start to codify that methodology and i look forward to you you know finally finish your game and get it out there you know and we'll keep talking about it and writing about it because yeah we believe it's good yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if I if I didn't believe in it, I certainly wouldn't be doing this for any. There's no hope of it becoming marketable. Mm. Um, there's simply the here's this thing that I know works. If you want this particular experience, here's how I've concluded can you know best get you there. Mm. Um, so I I only do it because I really do believe in it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So any of the last things that you wanted to throw in there before we wrap up today, Daniel? Uh, no, just the same old, uh, you know, ringing the bell of have the damn conversation with your group to see what you want. And <laughs> if people just did that, then they can start. If you don't do that, then, you know, forget it. You know, you're stuck where you are. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's worth a full-on session in itself just to talk yeah. about it. You know, it, t- it totally is. I also think to add to that, it's worth, um, one of the things I like that you made a suggestion of is getting a one-on-one session with players when they're creating a character or putting the character together. I found this really rich. Um, And I put them through a series of sort of short moral uh, dilemmas and like little situations as they're growing up at different age points, uh, which I found really rich to do. That is. um, Yeah, and and kind of get them into the normality of the society within the world that you're playing in. Um, That was really, really good to do. And I think it's a great way of testing someone out because I I figure that if someone's not going to enjoy it, they're probably going to not enjoy it there. (laughs) You know, they're going to be. That's right. You know, um, so yeah, t- chatting about it's all good. If someone's curious, then I'd say give them a one-on-one tryout and see what happens. Yeah. All right, Daniel, I'm going to wrap it there. It's about forty or so minutes of chatting, which is lovely. Uh, thanks very much, and I hope you're well. I'll see you soon. Yeah, you too. Take care. And that's a wrap for this week. Big thank you once again to Daniel Jones for taking the time to talk. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to call into the show via speakpipe.com slash rescue. There you can click on the message button and leave a 90-second voice message. Hop to the show notes and you'll be able to find a link there or head over to roleplayrescue.com and press the appropriate link. And finally, thanks to you the listener, for showing up and lending me your ears. I hope you'll join me again next time. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Game on.